Look at my butt. Show number 239 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Well, we're here. And oh, we're, did we record? Now that? we're recording, and now we have a podcasting dog right he's, between us where, where he should kisses. be. He's so excited. Yes, we are both he's in like Chicago. I know. This was a, a very last-minute uh, business trip that I had to take, and so I thought, well, <laughs> what the heck? I'm here. Let's do it. Let's, yes. let's have some good times, and we did. Um, we, we did stuff yesterday. We went out and had drinks and saw a great show and slept nice and long and had a fantastic breakfast, so... It's everything that you could want. Yes, it's so, so wonderful. Yeah. Unexpected surprise. Unexpected surprise. And now we're getting to do some podcasting. Yay! We've got our dog, and we have a thing that we're going to watch. And, um, oh, right. That's that. right. And, and we have, okay, are you leaving? Okay, okay. bye. <laughs> says you're boring. You're boring me. Uh, so we, are, uh, we have some things to talk about, so a little bit of Bill News. Uh, I'm going to continue with my review of this book, Zero G, which I finished on the plane over here, which was a real chore, let me tell you. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about it, and then I can return the book to the library, and then we will never speak of it again. So <laughs> that will be fine. Um, so happening in the news that, that we just saw yesterday, mm -hmm. there was a news story about um, the new season of Better Late Than Never. Yes. Which apparently they're, they're in Europe, or Scandinavia at least. I don't know if they're going to any place else. And well, why don't you tell them about what he was doing? Okay, so. there were two things, one I cannot find again. But in the one I cannot find, it was a short film clip of Bill with a bunch of people dancing to Havana Gila mm -hmm. in this village, the name of which I cannot remember and probably could not pronounce, <laughs> that sounded Polish and it said that Bill's grandparents mm -hmm. or grandfather came from there. Yeah. So there was that. Then the one that I was able to find <laughs> is um, they were in Sweden doing this thing called bunny running. <laughs> Uh-huh. And it apparently looks like you have a bunny on a leash, mm -hmm. and you are running after the bunny, trying to get it to do an obstacle course. Right, like bunny agility training or yes. something, I guess. And it said, this is a big deal in Sweden. <laughs> and, okay. And I went, well, you know, the Swedes, God bless them, mm -hmm. on Good Friday, it's spanking day. <laughs> so they have a special place in our hearts anyway. But uh, so they're there. So we were wondering... Wow, so what is the, the theme? Mm -hmm. And one of the ideas we came up with is, are they going to places of their ancestors? Because mm -hmm. that would be super interesting. It would be very interesting. Yeah, so obviously Bill's family um, were Jewish and they came from Poland or, or Eastern Europe anyway. Yeah. Um, and for the others, um, you know, I was thinking Bradshaw is an English name, right. but who knows where they came from before that. And I don't know about Winkler. Like, that seems also kind of English, but who knows? It sounds like something that might have been anglicized. Yes, that's true. It could um, be German. It could definitely it, yes, be. Yes, it very well could be. Mm -hmm. and, um, and like for Bradshaw, like you said, it's, it's an English-sounding name, but it's it could have been Scotland. Yeah. Could have, you know, any of those things. Or they could be maybe doing like a grandparent of his who had a different that's, name, that's, whatever. We're just speculating here, but yeah. we both think that would be really it interesting. Would be cool. And it looks like Bill is as active <laughs> as ever. Of course, of course. Oh, I did want to say if they are doing the genealogy thing and they go to Africa because of George Foreman, that would be so interesting. I know. That would be amazing. Yes. So I am kind of hoping that that's what it is because that would be, yeah, tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. And they've still got that doofy um, host, Jeff. Jeff. Dyer, yes, so-called comedian Jeff yes, Dyer, yes. yeah, their minder, yeah, their minder. <laughs> I think they probably each have a whole staff of minders. I'm sure that um, they do. But so that's good. So there's so much going on. Other little bits of news I've picked up is he has finished filming mm -hmm. uh, the senior moment, yep. the romantic comedy that we're very, very interested in. Um, and as we saw, he is currently filming uh, Better Late Than Never. Yep. And what was the other uh, thing? Well, he did the horse show a couple of weekends <gasps> yes, ago, yes, or yes. last weekend, I guess. And um, it, it looked like it went really well, and they raised tons of money, which is terrific. There was a link to some Periscope stuff that he had done with the fan club, which we might watch a little bit of yeah, later just to yeah. see, because we were kind of curious if the same people were there and how many people went. You were saying mm -hmm. you wanted to know. 
from I watched a little bit of it and it looked like it was um, in the same place of course and rather than meeting at the stables which is where we had gone they were in the outdoor seating like the pavilion where they mm -hmm. served dinner and Bill was sitting at a table and people were coming over and bringing all their crap for him to sign and he was but you know he he looked happy he was being, you know, he was smiling, he was making jokes, you know, he was talking to people. It wasn't like the convention thing where no. he just kind of signs it. And I always think of the scene in Galaxy Quest when he's, he's not even looking at them, he's just signing it and mm -hmm. kind of tossing them. It's not like that at all. But we might watch a little bit of that just to see yeah, who, yeah. who was there and what it was like. So, uh, And he hasn't been on Twitter very much because I think he's been so busy. Mm -hmm. And if they're in Europe, he's not going to have any time and his tweets will be at weird hours anyway. Well, and maybe one of the conditions of doing it is it's you don't put out right. information. Right. We don't know. Yeah. But speaking of Galaxy Quest, I've been meaning to bring this up oh, for yes. weeks. There was a some sort of online poll, and we know that makes it completely <laughs> legitimate. Uh huh. Um, Galaxy Quest was voted the either third or fourth favorite best <laughs> Star Trek movie. It always gets up there in those Star Trek movie rankings, right? They did that at one of the creation cons yeah. a couple of years ago. That's awesome. I adore that movie. I think it's so wonderful. Oh, yes. It's great. And it, you know, the other reason, I think we talked about this before, why it's such a good comedy and why it's such a classic comedy is that it's, it will never be dated. It's timeless, right? Yes. Even the scenes that take place in the real time of Los Angeles could be any time. It could be in the 70s, it could be in the yes. 90s, it could be right now, it could all be uh -huh. happening right yeah. there. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, go Galaxy Quest. Um, other news in the Star Trek world, we talked a little bit about this, you and me, but it's worth mentioning here, is more news has come out about Discovery. Uh, yes. Um, the trailer, very exciting, except for the costumes. <laughs> That's just me, but though. But <laughs> you, you, our listeners, are probably aware there has been a certain amount of online uproar over the focus on the women. women. Oh my God, two different women yes. who, who aren't white, who are in charge. Oh and my God. One has an accent. And we're, we're just like, fuck you, this is, this is great. <laughs> totally and if you. you think humanity is going to get anywhere by continuing to discount 50% of the population yeah. and people with accents, yeah, yeah. Just, just get over yourself. I mean, yeah. That's oh. the problem, is it's not white enough. Yeah, that's ri oh, so ridiculous. So I I'm really pleased with it. Like I said, I have a thing about the costumes and, and the set design only because it's supposed to be 10 years before TOS and there is absolutely no way in God's own earth that you would get from the design. Jack, come up here. You would get from the, the look and feel of Discovery to the look and feel of TOS. Like, they just don't mesh, and I understand why they've done it that way. Well, and it's going to look like the new movie. It's going to just look like hey. the movies, and it's going to look more like Enterprise, and that's fine. I, I wish that they had uh, made a little more of an effort, I mm -hmm. guess. And maybe there will be more of an effort when it actually comes out, like we'll see other things. Um, somebody had suggested, and I, I was talking about this with some guy, uh, that maybe there will be something that happens during the course of the series where we do see that jump. Like maybe at the end of the first season, you know, they're like, um, there's, a, there's new Starfleet uniforms are, are being implemented for some reason, like some plot thing happens. Yeah. And then we start to see the TOS uniforms, and that would be kind of cool mm -hmm. if they built it in to the plot and the, the development of, yeah. of Starfleet. I don't think they're going to do that, but it would be cool. If they I did. don't either. Yeah. So, oh, oh, he's putting his paw on my leg. Yes, oh, he loves you. He's so happy. He's a happy dog. But we're excited. I think Discovery's mm -hmm. going to be good. Um, yep, um, we will at least watch that first episode, which will be free. Yeah, that's right. And we'll probably get the other episodes at some point, mm -hmm. somehow, because I don't really feel like signing up for CBS All, All Access. access. No. Whatever, whatever. But it'll be good. It'll be very good. Yes. <laughs> What a good dog. Okay, um, I want to talk about this book just yes, so that we can hear what you be have done to say. with it. So I finished reading Zero G. I read it on the plane, and as you can see, I've, I put in. A <laughs> She's got a lot of little post-it flags. Folks. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if I want to <coughs> read all the stuff that that I've marked in here. Some of it was just ridiculous. Um, so let me recap a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. This book was originally called Zero G Men. Yes. And it, it was a, it's about uh, the FBI in space. <sighs> 
space 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 FBI agents and our main character is a dude named Samuel Lord who is the FBI director in space who is Bill yes he's not Captain Kirk he's actually Bill mm -hmm. in, in every way that you could imagine him being Bill <laughs> the only thing that isn't strictly Bill and maybe this is more of a Bill thing than a Captain Kirk thing I don't know is that he has a love interest but he doesn't sleep with her during the course of this book really they they uh, sort of they kiss at the end sort of mm -hmm. not quite chastely I mean they're not making out or anything but right. it's clear that they have a connection and that they're going to have a relationship. Oh. Well, he was biting you. Uh, no, he was biting his paw. Oh, I thought he was biting no, your he's pants. Chewing on Sorry. His, his Sorry, folks. Yeah. Podcasting dog has been very distracting. <laughs> Continue. That's fine. Um, Jack is being more interesting than this book was. Um, <laughs> so he ha there's a woman, and she's a scientist, and they work together really well. And at the end, they, they say that they care about each other and that they're going to get together at some point. So mm -hmm. that was good. Um, so Bill is planning a series. He, that was the thing, you know, I, I saw this book, Bill was talking about it like just it was a book, mm -hmm. and then I had seen on Amazon that it was the first of a trilogy, and by the time I got to the end, literally the last two chapters are just set up for the next book. Oh. like, come on, really? Do you have to do this? So, the plot of the book is that it's in the future, the future, and... We're in space, the, the Americans have a space station, the Russians have a space station, which is actually the old international space station, which they bought or something. And there's a Chinese space station as well, all orbiting. And some very weird natural disaster happens, which obliterates kind of the coast of Japan, and it seems to have come from outer space. No one can figure out what happened. So the uh, FBI is involved and uh, other agencies are involved, and there's a little bit of who done it in here, and eventually it turns out spoilers that it was technology stolen from the the woman scientist Dr. May, who is his love interest. Uh, she was coming up with a neutrino-based technology. It was stolen by some people who are uh, patriots, and they gave it to the Chinese in order to affect an arms race so that um, the Americans and other Western nations could then destroy China and keep the world safe for democracy and space safe for democracy. So this didn't even come from outer space? It, it came did. From here? No, it came from the Chinese space station. The, the Chinese got it from outer space, from they, aliens? No, no. So it was... It <laughs> I'm was, lost. All right. It was, it was technology that was developed by... American Dr. May. Dr. May, who has a, an office on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> as one does. As you do. So she was developing it there. There were American spies who were, were really working for the Chinese, sort of. Mm -hmm. And they stole this technology and they sold it to the Chinese to, to cause an arms race between the Americans and the Chinese. That's what I understand. But... It came from, she developed it on the moon, but that doesn't mean it came from outer space. Okay, sorry, I, I, I glossed <laughs> over that part. Oh, okay. It's, it's complicated. All right. And it all gets explained. Um, and I'm getting way too involved in a bad book, aren't I? And it gets explained in the last couple of chapters, and even then I was like, what happened? Um, so yes, sorry, let me, let me be more clear. The, the, the people steal the technology, they give it to the Chinese, and on the Chinese space station, they develop this uh, weapon... Now, she didn't intend it to be a weapon. It was sort of pure research, but they turned it into a weapon, and it turned out that she hadn't gotten around to um, <coughs> developing some of the safeguards. Mm -hmm. Like, they stole some of the technology, but not all of it. So when they build this thing on the Chinese space station and they turn it on, it doesn't have any safeguards built into it. Okay. And it starts firing sort of blindly at Earth and the moon and space and, and all this other stuff. So that's where all these natural disasters have come from. And eventually our, our heroes, especially um, William Shatner, I mean Samuel Lord, the director of the FBI, manages to shut it down. They, they send it some code and it self-destructs or something He like doesn't, that. like, talk it, talk it to <laughs> death? <laughs> he doesn't talk it to death, but he has a number of occasions that are pretty much equivalent to wrestling with a tiger. Ah, for no reason, and it's completely gratuitous. Well, th that's the only type of tiger wrestling there is. It's the only valuable one. It's, it's, and, and especially at the end. So there's a scene right near the end. So he's on the moon, and there, there's a, a state, obviously there's a station on the moon. And 
they finally catch the bad guy like they find out who the spy is that's mm -hmm. there and so they uh, are waiting for him the the bad guy whose name is Don Christie to go to this um, space buggy like that's how they get around on the moon they have a little buggy that they okay. ride back and forth and there's uh, some um, information that's in it that he has to physically retrieve it's like in a little recorder okay, okay. So they're they're hiding in in the the dock where the the buggy is, and, and this is all um, they're wearing spacesuits and everything, right? There's no air okay. and minimal gravity, so they wait, and the guy goes, and and Samuel Lord is hiding, like he's crouching in the back of the space buggy, waiting for this guy to go in there, and then the guy gets it, and then Lord pulls a gun on him, but they have a fight, on the moon in their spacesuits, they have a punching fight. <laughs> Lord gets knocked off and he's on the, the ground and this guy jumps into the buggy and tries to run him over. <laughs> Bravo! On the moon. <laughs> in a space buggy. <laughs> and so Lord saves himself by firing his gun at the ground, which propels him up into the air. Oh. Right? And then he finally manages to... Um, what does he do? He he does something to the buggy so that uh, oh he 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 destroys the steering column so that it smashes into the wall and the guy knocks himself out because he has a con you know he like bangs his head and he has a concussion. So, and so they catch him. It, they don't take the space buggy through the space car wash. They did not. It was <laughs> but it was close to that. I it mean, really is. And it goes on for pages and you're like I can't believe that this is. <laughs> On the moon, someone is trying to kill somebody else by running them over with a car. <laughs> I was half expecting him to jump on the hood and roll off, you know? <laughs> oh, that would have been so good. It would have been good, but that didn't happen. Oh, dear. So that's, that's okay, what we're talking about. Okay, I really about. do hope they make a movie of this. Oh, my God. It's just crazy. So, um, yeah, it's good. Okay, several good points about this book. Some parts of it are kind of funny. There's some witty writing in it. There's a lot of women who have... Um, good roles and they're they're very strong and great mm -hmm. the woman who is in charge of the moon base is is very much in sort of the Janeway persona like she's awesome there's other women who are scientists it seems pretty balanced as far as people who are working there um, Lord is the head of the FBI and his second in command is a woman and his third in command is a woman and there's a bunch like there's just a lot of women in it which I liked and a mm -hmm. lot of non-white people in it also which mm -hmm. is also really good so the bad parts and I can't remember if I talked about this last time. Um, his second in command is a, a woman. We meet her as a woman named Adsela Waters. No, uh, Adsela? Adsela is an interesting name. I, I didn't look it up to see um, whether that's like a real name or they made it up. Uh -huh. um, so Adsela Waters is Cherokee. And there's an unfortunate amount of like wise Native American stuff that happens, which is quite cringy. And you were talking about how, earlier about how all the Japanese, the Japanese stuff is bad. You know it, that that's very, very uh, cliche. It is yeah. very stereotypical. Okay. Um, but the interesting thing about Adsela Waters is that um, they can apparently switch genders at will. So the Cherokee? Yes. And this is because of genetic engineering. It's not like an oh. inherent thing. So okay. it was weird that they they sort of conflate those two things. Mm -hmm. And there's something about, you know, like, oh, mystical Cherokee third sex stuff, like whatever. But sometimes Adsela is a man and sometimes Adsela is a woman. And that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Like, it's written kind of okay. Now, now here's a section I need to read. Okay. okay. So Ansela changes from female to male, kind of depending on the situation or what they feel like doing. Does she control it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Mostly it's controlled, but sometimes it, it shifts because of circumstances. Okay. And that's not really explained. It's also really not explained how this happens physically. I mean, they describe it as, like, literally, her his body changes into a woman's body, like suddenly she has breasts and mm -hmm. hips and her waist gets smaller. They don't say anything about the hair, so I, I don't know about that. But, yeah. but, you know, there's like a physical change that happens. How does this happen? I don't know. It's not explained. Okay. There's a shitload of other stuff that is explained. That's not explained. Okay. <laughs> so, um, there's a, a crucial scene where Adsela has sex with a guy who's actually an android. Okay. Kinda, he's an android. Yeah, he's an android. All right, he's an android, and we're never sure. He's a he's a Mossad agent. 
So he's okay. Okay. Yes, okay. okay. So like we're, we're we're now building his character. He's an android and he's a Mossad agent, and we're not really sure whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. Okay. But he's very good at getting information out of other people. So one night after. Um, Oh, by the way, this entire book takes place in 48 hours. Okay. A lot of stuff happens in 48 hours. So, Adsala has a hard day at the office because Samuel Lord was off doing, he wrestling with tigers. Okay. Gets off work, goes to the lounge, um, gets drunk, meets this guy whose name is Ziv, Ziv Levy. <laughs> um, and, then, and then, for some reason that's not really explained, she decides to, to fuck him. So, they go back to her, her quarters... And um, they have sex, and the sex is described sort of rough, like they're having rough sex, but it's not like he's not slapping her or anything. They're just kind of wrestling around, and you know, or somebody tiger sex, to, tiger sex. It's kind of tiger sex, but apparently the sex is really good, and partly it's because he's an android and he has some ability to like um, cybernetically tune into her brain. So it's you know, like fine, whatever. This is the future. <laughs> But then, then this happens, okay? Uh-oh. All right, here we go. Then this happens. Then this happens. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit of it. She didn't know how many times she had climaxed, but even they became secondary. Her desire was to hold on to that edge of eternity as though it were the event horizon of a black hole. So this is her mind as he's, like, you know, jacking uh, energy into it. Okay. <laughs> she came nearer to the infinite now, so near she couldn't howl because she could hardly breathe, blah, blah, blah. Uh, for him, this wasn't sex. It was running a program, using his skills and tools to achieve a goal, but she didn't care. And then another level of energy flashed through her, sent by him as though he were overheating. His arms, hands, and fingers were no longer embracing her. They were gripping her chakras, her body's energy centers, in a purpose purposeful and powerful way. She did not want to resist her own impulses. She felt the supernova coming, and so did he. She realized too late that this was a mistake. How many secrets had, had he collected this way, she heard herself cry out. How many women had told him everything they knew just to keep him from stopping? Okay, whatever. So, okay. you know. So is he yanking secrets through his psychic thing? I think thing, so. Or is she actually so. going to tell him? I, I, not clear. Okay. All okay. right. Okay, we're getting to the, the thing that, that concerns me. Okay. <laughs> her fingers gripped his arms again. Her thighs clamped onto his hips again. She gripped him to keep from losing herself, only this time it was completely different. Okay. Now, from the description we've just been given in a little bit, they're, they're fucking. Like, yeah. He's putting his dick into her. Right. Okay. She knew it, and he knew it. Atsula's female nature fell into itself, collapsed, and was lost somewhere inside. Her male side emerged and was greeted by a cry of shock and surprise from Ziv. He did not stop moving entirely, but a part of him did, unwillingly and unexpectedly. His eyes went large with shock as Adsala threw his back against the door, and he went with him, and Ziv seemed a fraction of the titan he had been just moments before. Breathing heavily, cooling rapidly, the pan gender peered into his face like a cougar eyeing a hare. A cruel smile twisted his mouth. All right, so they're in the middle of fucking, and Adsala now changes from a woman to a man. Right. While... They have a penis inside them. Yeah. What just happened? Did his penis get bitten off? <laughs> broken off? Say. Like I, I, I read this over and over, and that's it. There's no other. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. So I don't know what happened there. It is never said that Adsala like has both a vagina and a penis. It's right. Sort of. It goes between one and the other. So if you're having sex in the middle of doing penetrative sex. What happens? Yeah. I get the feeling that the author didn't think this through very well. Or maybe they Well, never right up until that moment, I was thinking, okay, this is something Bill has actually done. <laughs> <laughs> Had supernova tiger sex. Well, that's probably true. Yes. I agree with that. that yes. That is true, but I don't but think... But then he... we got to this, and mm, no, that I, is concerning. No, no. So, yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Interesting concept, but very bad execution on that. And then the creepy, creepy part is that it turns out later that while they were having penetration sex, when he came, um, because he's an android, he managed to send little nanites into her body that became listening devices that could hear her thoughts and stuff. And then she has to go to sick bay, and Dr. McCoy has to take them out. Dr. McCoy? Well, I call <laughs> 
he is Dr. McCoy. His okay. Name is, his Dr. Dr. Whatever his name is, Dr. Carter, but he's really Dr. McCoy. Okay, okay. He's a grumpy old man. And he I thought you were going to tell me she got pregnant, and I was going to say no. Well, okay. So that and is, also that addresses another question. If she were to become pregnant, yeah. during the pregnancy, what happens? What? She turns into a guy. I know. I, I don't understand. There's a hint of that at the end. Which oh, is, God. But I, maybe I misread it. I don't know. So anyway, so that's creepy. So he injects her with nanites through his dick, and she has to get them taken out. And that's a plot point later. It's very, very okay. strange. I know, I know. Okay, so that was weird. Now, here's a part that I can't figure out. This is bad writing. Well, I can figure it out, but it's very bad writing. So you tell me if you think it's as weird. Okay. Um, so this is... Um, our hero, Sam Lord, he was questioning Dr. May when she comes onto the space okay. station. And she's been up for like 36 hours, and they talk, and eventually she trusts him a little bit, and then um, she's very tired, so they lay down and, and take a little nap. Okay. Chastely. Okay. On his bed. Okay. Waking, Sam Lord noticed at once that something was different. Several things, in fact. Lord snapped two on his cot, its auto-contoured fibers holding him snugly in place as always. Unlike most days, however, he had the fleeting sense that he was somewhere else, back in his modest suburban home in Alamogordo, New Mexico, off New York Avenue. That was due to the fact that he was warm. Not airblown warm, but human proximity warm. There was a woman beside him. <gasps> his eyes searched the room in front of him. He saw braids and the back of a lunar jumpsuit. Okay, so he's lying in bed, mm -hmm. he wakes up, and he realizes that he's like spooning with a, a woman. His eyes searched the room in front of him. If you're lying there and somebody's in front of you, yeah, you're staring at the back of someone's head, like right. And also, okay, you might see braids, but if you're actually spooning, you're not going to see the the suit. <laughs> and how are you searching the room? How are your eyes yeah. searching the room if you're lying in bed pressed against someone? Yeah, isn't that weird? Yes, that's so weird. <sighs> oh dear. Yeah, so that's what we're talking about. Stuff like that just really throws me out of the story when it's, <laughs> it's so badly written. Okay, I'm just doing some other things here. What is this? Um, oh, um, oh yeah, then there's this. Okay, so then um, later in the book, when the, the weapon fires again, it destroys the Rocky Mountains. Wow. Like most of Colorado right there. Like, mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's great. Um and then there's another section where there's a, a character who appears for three pages and then dies, okay. who, who is also William Shatner. Um, Bill managed to put himself in the book twice, which I thought okay. was pretty impressive. What is the new guy's name? Um, Jason Stillman. And he, uh, he lives in Aspen, and he has a cafe called the Airfare Cafe that he runs for people who go skiing and hiking in the mountains. Mm -hmm. um, but this section is just hilariously written. I say it's Bill just because, you know, he lives in a cabin and he, he hunts and he's a real man's man. And, you know, but he's at peace with nature. He's really into nature. So, yeah, that's Bill, right? Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, the peaks. Okay. There, so he's in Aspen and he's looking at the mountain peaks. Uh, the peaks were more than that. They were a place of worship. Each Sunday, come deep snow or battering catabotic downwind. I don't know what that means. He rode his hovermobile 5,000 feet up to the ridge he owned, to the log cabin he and his father had built. Through the thin, luminous air, the 38-year-old could see Elk Camp, Two Creeks, West Buttermilk, Snowmass Village, and Aspen stretched out before him. The postcard beauty hid the exhausting dynamic of the people, the pace, the interactions. Up here, he communed with Latobius, the Celtic mountain god, whose adventures his father, Angus, used to extemporize by a campfire. Up here, he transformed to Nodin's god of the hunt. He foraged for his own food with a swift-kill laser rifle, and what he didn't eat or store, he, he brought back for a grateful, shrinking group of venison eaters. <laughs> what is this? Oh, man. <laughs> Bill, that's woo-woo. Oh, it is woo. <laughs> it is woo, but I feel like Bill actually wrote that part. Mm. You know, as opposed to Jeff Jeff Rovin, his... Uh, his partner in crime. His partner in crime there. Let me see. Uh, I'm just seeing what else. It's very distracting that one of the secondary characters is named um, McClure, and I kept thinking of Troy McClure. <laughs> 
So that was bad. It was just like a bad naming choice. In yes. There. Yeah. Oh, and here, here's another part. Like, again, this stuff just gets thrown in here, and I don't know whether this is supposed to be, like, calling forward to the next couple books, but like that section about a Celtic god, Yeah. Um, McClure is, uh, he's out in space, and there's a dangerous situation, and uh, there's some radiation coming towards him. So, um, as they waited for the impact, the young scientist could not help but think that his preacher father would be either transfixed or horrified. The neutralized streams and wild arcs of electrons from the cloud were like some wrath of Jehovah event from the Old Testament. The seventh plague of Egypt, hail and fire, came instantly to mind. Maybe Dad was correct, McClure thought incongruously of their many long discussions about the Bible, the man of faith versus the blossoming young scientist. Maybe these things happened as described. The authors of Deuteronomy wouldn't have known about particle accelerators or magnetic collimators, but they did get the ferocity right. So suddenly he, he's believing that all the plagues of Egypt were real because he's out in space being hit by like a neutron cloud. So that makes perfect sense. <laughs> That's what I would wonder about. <laughs> sure. Sure. Even Jack is looking puzzled. Sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, and then there's some other stuff about chakras and crap like that. So... <laughs> I don't know. It's a very weird mix of, of science-y stuff. I, I will say that um, Jeff Roven, because I don't think this is Bill, is so in love with acronyms. Like, every fucking thing in here is an acronym and then gets explained in a very clumsy way, like the oh. exposition police come. So there was no need for all that. And then there was a part of it where he's there's a description of the space station. And it's such a bad description that I could not visualize what the space station actually looks like. Oh. And, you know, if your action is taking place on a space station, it would be good if you could describe to the reader well enough what it looked like so that they could picture it in their minds when a lot of the action takes place either in it or on it or mm -hmm. around it. So you have to kind of know, like, oh, they need to get from here to here and it's yeah, this far. Yeah. And I just could not do it. Um, and I actually... Describe. I read out the sections that describe the space station to an architect, and he couldn't figure it out either. So <laughs> that just tells you oh, how... Oh, the poor architect. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I went through it kind of line by line, and I'm like, okay, do you get this? Do you understand what I'm saying? And he's like, no. <laughs> no. Oh, it's, dear. Yeah, so... Um, I Bill said it was great, and he was wrong. It's not. <laughs> it's not a great book. And it's a very blatant setup for the next two books, which I'm not going to read. Because uh, no, you've done more than your bit. There's just no point in, in reading this. And also, it's it's very badly paced. Like, this book is, um, this is a hardcover book I got from the library, and it's about 350 pages long. And the plot really doesn't get going until about halfway through the book. Oh, my God, I so, that. So, yeah, the first, there's a whole section that takes up, like, 20 pages here where our hero has to rescue a woman who is a, um, not even a tertiary character she's just she appears very briefly and comes back at the end from a an elevator air shaft um, it's not important why she got there she's alive and he has to rescue her and he has to be in a you know an airless environment and he's got a like jerry rig a, a sled and all this other stuff happens and there is no point to this whole thing and it goes on and on and Ooh, on God. and you know because it happens so early in the book you know he's not going to die because mm -hmm. he's the main character yeah and you don't really care about her because she's not an important character and i could not understand why they put this huge long dramatic thing in it reads like it's the climactic part of the book, but it's not. It's just a thing that happens, and then it never gets referenced again. So why is this even in here? Because space is dangerous. Well, yeah, it's space. <laughs> I, they could have made that point <clears throat> excuse me, without this very, very long and pointless rescue scene that is not important. Well, thank you for taking this one for the team. Oh. We appreciate it. Mm. Yep, it's too bad. So I'm glad I got it from the library. I was amazed that my library actually had it. Yeah. Somebody must have requested it, I guess. But there it is, zero G. Okay. Oh, so on that note, let's take a little break, and then we can watch a thing. Yes. That would be really That sounds fun. great. All right. And oh, look, the podcasting dog, he's so comfortable. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. 
to seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news. Chugga, 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 chugga. We watched Disaster on the Coastliner. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So this was a movie made in 1979. It was a TV movie. Obviously a TV movie. And we rented it on Amazon uh, for $5. There are parts of it on YouTube I saw. There's, oh, okay. I think someone has actually cut it up into chunks and mm-hmm. posted it. Uh, we, we got to watch it on the TV, which was kind of nice. Yes. So you can watch it on Amazon. You can probably watch it in other places. Um, it is very much a 1979 TV movie. It is a lot of talk, talk, oh, talk. Oh, my God. And a lot of shots of trains of running. Of trains. So my two notes that um, were more than anything else was so many trains. And then the other note is computers are bad. Yes. Which is the main takeaway from this, yes. I think, is that computers are very bad and you shouldn't trust them. And and they make noises like and, teletype And machines. they make teletype noises and they'll fuck up your life. So, you know, don't trust computers. Bill's in this for a total of, what, maybe 20 minutes out of the whole movie? Maybe, maybe a little yeah. longer than that? I don't know. He has a, a secondary role. But actually... But he saves the day. He saves the day. Yeah. And also, I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. He's the only one whose character extends beyond one dimension. This is true. Yeah. He does, he does more than one thing mm-hmm. in the movie, which was really nice to see. Yes. He, he is, he's the best thing about this movie, honestly. Uh, well. Um, as far as the actors go, I will say, you know, huge props to the director who got the uh, helicopter stunt people to do some pretty fucking amazing things mm-hmm. that you would never get away with right now if you no. were filming a movie like this. There are many scenes of the helicopters within, you know, a few feet of these moving trains. And of each other. And of each other and of people standing on the tracks, including one scene where there's a guy who steps out of the way of a moving train like a split second before it passes, which gave me a fucking heart attack when Mm -hmm. we were watching it because I was sure that guy was going to get killed. So there's a lot of nerve-wracking stuff, but unfortunately all of that is confined to about the last 30 minutes of this movie. Well, and the truly nerve-wracking part is, you know, within that 30 minutes. Yes. But at the, there's 30 minutes to go point at about that, that is when it picks up. Yes. Because outside of it's got Bill, one of the reasons we wanted to watch it is Bill tells an amazing story about the filming of this. Yes. In... Up uh, till uh, now. now, a.k.a. me so horny. Yes. yes, so should I read that now? Please, please go okay. ahead and read it. So I, I'm curious to see how Bill's remembrance of this movie actually syncs up with what happens that we see in the movie. Yeah, so okay. go for it. Bill says, I do remember the most truly dangerous stunt I ever did, for real. <laughs> what I don't remember is why I did it. <laughs> that sounds like Bill. We were making an ABC Sunday night movie called Disaster on the Coastliner. Mm-hmm. The coastliner was a train set on a collision course by a deranged engineer attempting to avenge the accidental deaths of his wife and daughter. Correct. And among the passengers were the president's, vice president's wife and daughter. We were filming. No, no, the daughter wasn't on the train. Well, okay. <laughs> we were filming on a deserted stretch of track in Connecticut. I played a con man with a heart of gold plating. In a key scene, I had to stand on top of a speeding diesel locomotive and fight a stuntman while a helicopter was trying to swoop down and rescue me. When I read the script, I thought it was an impressive stunt, but I didn't know how they intended to do it. When we started filming, I asked the director, how are we going to do this? Are we going back to the studio to do a green screen? When he admitted he hadn't figured it out yet, (laughs) I suggested, well, why don't we do it in real life? Oh, good, good one, Bill. It was, let's put on a play in the barn, boys and girls time. I have no idea what I was thinking when I said that. His face lit up. Really? God. Yeah, sure, why not? (laughs) Sure, why not? Why not? Because I could have gotten killed, that's why not. But listening to myself talk, I started getting excited. Here's what we'll do. The train will go five miles an hour, and I'll get up on top, and you can get some close-ups, and then you can speed up the film, and it'll look like a real fight. 
Really? I think he was as stunned as I should have been. <laughs> For there was a difference between the two of us. I was the one climbing up on top of the train. He was the sane one. Uh-huh. Okay, uh -huh. he said enthusiastically. Let's do it. You go ahead and climb up there. Oh, the problem, I quickly discovered, was that this was a diesel engine, meaning there was no smokestack, nothing to which we could attach safety cables. Uh-huh, that's correct. It's aerodynamic, flat. The only way I could be attached to a safety cable was to run the cable down the side of the engine through the window. But then we realized if we did that and I fell, the cable would just drag me alongside the train. This is correct. A bad second choice. So we couldn't use safety cables. I decided to do it anyway. Really? The director was thrilled. I was willing to do the scene. Finally, I got up on top of the train. Admittedly, I was scared. And it rolled along at five miles an hour. The director was in a car driving alongside with three cameras in it. We shot the whole scene. I took a deep breath when I got down to the ground. How was it? I asked the director. He frowned. Well, it looks like we're going five miles an hour. <laughs> then I heard myself thinking, hey, I'm the star. Stars don't get hurt. And then I heard myself saying to him, okay, let's try it again. <laughs> we can go a little faster. Bill. Now, why would I say that? Why would I risk my life for a Sunday night movie? Oh. What could I have been thinking? Directors had been shooting similar scenes since the early days of film without it being necessary for an actor to stand <laughs> on top of a moving train. Yes. There were many ways of getting the shot. Really? The director said enthusiastically. I climbed back up on top. Oh. Seven miles an hour became 10, became 20. Suddenly, I was standing on top of a diesel locomotive going almost 40 miles oh, an hour, geez. and we were approaching a sharp curve in the track, and beyond that was a low bridge. Uh-huh, yep, saw that. That's in the movie. Yep. <laughs> uh, wait a second. I'm an actor. What am I doing standing on top of a diesel locomotive racing, for, racing 40 miles an hour toward a trestle? At that speed, the wind was so strong, I had to bend forward into it just to remain upright. Mm -hmm. The wind was coming right up my pants legs, trying to lift me. <laughs> the helicopter was starting to swoop down on me. In my role, I was supposed to be frightened. <laughs> Believe <Yep>. me, <laughs> in that situation, it did not require a lot of acting ability to look scared. When we finished the scene, director told me proudly, I got it. Reviewers wrote that the scene looked real. <laughs> looked real. It looked real. And that's what Bill tells us about that. Wow. Well, that's pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that was completely inaccurate is that he wasn't actually fighting anybody. No. It, was a, it was a rescue kind right, of thing. He and was trying it, to get them both rescued. Yeah, they were both getting rescued. But the rest of it is, yes, that's exactly what you see on the yes. screen. And in case you were wondering how they did manage to get off the train, and this we're oh. sure Bill and the other guy did not do, was the train went over a river right after that trestle, mm -hmm. and they jumped off into the river. Yes, and the, the uh, other guy died, and Bill yes. did not, and but he did get arrested. Um, yes. So that's interesting that he said it was in Connecticut, because uh, the, the scenes of the two trains were definitely California, because I recognize some mm -hmm. of the terrain there, but that last bit, when, when Bill's getting arrested and they're taking him away, the police cars say East Lynn, and I was like, that's... <gasps> That's in, that, yeah, that's in Connecticut. Like, I know where that is. So. I didn't notice that. Yep, they just didn't bother. And then another strange thing is that the, the, the train company has, what is it, Trans Allied or something? Mm -hmm. Yet all the trains clearly say Amtrak yes. on them. So yes. it's like, okay, whatever, it's fine. Uh, so Bill gave a good summary of the plot. That was good. Um, I made some other notes on here that we, we wanted to mention. So Lloyd Bridges is the, uh, what is he, Secret Service? Yeah. And he, he and E.G. Marshall, who were the two top-billed people in this, play all their scenes in a little control room. So um, the, the train has, company has now switched over to computers. Ooh, computers that sound like teletype machines. And uh, th that's, there's six people to run this entire train system throughout all of the West, I guess, in mm -hmm. this little room. And they get pizza brought in, which is very nice. And you can so get shot for bringing pizza you in. You can get shot for bringing pizza in. So, yeah, so we get to see Lloyd Bridges and E.G. Marshall kind of, you know, histrionic their way through this, which must have been a nice paycheck for them. Um, the other note is that Michael Pataki is in this mm -hmm. as a cop who is looking for Bill. Bill's a con man. 
And so he and his partner are searching the train, and Michael Pataki was uh, in TOS as the Klingon who says it should be towed away as garbage mm -hmm. in Trouble with Tribbles. He was also in TNG. He had a role in that okay. as well. And he was in about a thousand other things, another working actor. All of these people who were in it were the people who were in every single TV thing you've ever seen. Yes, yes. Very, very familiar. Um, so... Of note is at the very beginning of it, Bill's in disguise, um, and this is the still that, that we've seen, which I will mm -hmm. put up with this, where he's wearing a terrible hat and a terrible mustache and terrible sideburns and a scar. Yeah, and a scar. <laughs> it was like when you're a kid and you get the disguise kit and you're like, I'll do the mustache and the sideburns and the hat. And the eyebrows and a scar. <laughs> and the fake nose and sunglasses. I know. Just like put everything on all at one time. It's so funny. Um, but and then he changes in the bathroom <coughs> of the uh, Union Station in Los Angeles, and and then he ends up looking very dapper, wearing nice tight pants and a, a little shirt that's unbuttoned at the top, so you can see his chest hair and a little cravat that he's got yes, tied yes, around yes, his very neck. Yes, very sophisticated. Very very sophisticated. So that was interesting. Um, we get to see him inhale a cigarette, doing some Shatner in, uh, mm -hmm. inhaling of, of cigarette. And although he drinks, he does not do a Shatner swallow. I was yeah. a little disappointed yeah. that there was none of that happening. But the inhale was excessive. It was good. It was, it was a lot of business going on. Yes. There's a couple scenes where he has a, a cigarette in hand while he's talking to the woman he's trying to seduce. Me yes. So that was good. Uh, I was highly amused that when uh, the, the bad guy who's a computer programmer, which means that he knows how to solder things on a motherboard, <laughs> he's, he's somehow, you know, fucked up the computer, the main computer, and uh, Lloyd Bridges, as the Secret Service agent, gets very, he's like, can't you do something to stop it? And E.G. Marshall's like, no, no, he's completely reprogrammed the whole thing, and then Lloyd Bridges pulls out his gun and he's going to shoot the computer. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure that would have had the desired effect. Right, right. But he did pull out his gun, so that was good. Uh, Raymond Burr was in this. Yes. I was annoyed that he didn't show up until right at the end. Oh, my God. He was yeah. third build, and, and he um, basically played his entire role sitting behind a desk, which mm -hmm. is a very Raymond Burr type of role. Um, and uh, then at the very end, uh, these two trains, so the, the bad guy has programmed these two trains to smash into each other. And um, Bill decides to be the hero, and he, he uncouples the passenger cars from the engine in one of the trains very heroically. And then, unfortunately, he gets stuck on the engine, which is still powering forward at 100 miles an hour. Yes. <laughs> and gets some really good business to do. Like, as soon as it uncouples and he realizes he's on the engine, he's like, hey, what about me? <laughs> But, to but me, then, 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 yes. Oh, you do, you do it because okay. it's so good. He, um, you know, there's a door there. To, to the, to the engine. engineer, yeah. And he pounds on it, and then he looks down, and there's the doorknob, and he twists it. Of course, it opens. <laughs> and he reacted just the way we did. He turns the camera and goes, you know, like, oh, God. I just see this great take. It, was, it a, was so beautiful. It was a beautiful take on a moving engine. You know, like, you could see it's moving. There's, yeah. like, it's stuff going by, and the wind is blowing him, and he just rolls his eyes. And yeah, it's an amazing it. take. Uh -huh. Oh, my God, it was so funny. <laughs> That was brilliant. Um, so let's see. When he's on top of the train, um, he bends over a lot. His pants are really tight, and that that was good to see. And, and his toupee is nothing less than heroic. Completely heroic. It just hangs on through everything. Through everything. It's, it's like 40-mile-an-hour winds, you know, wrestling around, and then he gets dunked in the water, and mm -hmm. it stays on in the water. It's kind of amazing. Uh, and then he gets the best part right at the very end when he's in the police car, and they're about to take him away. Um, would you like to describe well, what he does? Because it's so good. a tourist with a camera about to take his picture, and he smiles, <laughs> and smiles out the window because he's a con man. And this, this is why I say Bill's character had more than one dimension. He yes. was trying to pick up this woman. He was a con man and a liar, mm -hmm. but he was also a hero, do mm -hmm. what needs to be done. He really wanted the other guy to live when mm -hmm. they were dragging him out of the water. Yep. And a lot of that was, you know, these silly little things Bill brought to it. Absolutely. Picture, you know. He was great. It was so good. I, I'll have to see if we can do like a... Um a screen cap of that or something. There's yes. that little moment where he turns to the, the camera and smiles because yes, it's, it's so, so good. good. It's amazing. 
they also, I, I just kind of caught this at the end. It was hard to hear. But um, when he's talking to the um, his uh, conquest, the woman. Yes. Uh, what was her name? Paula. Her name Paula. was Paula. Okay. okay. Yeah. So he's talking to Paula. And, of course, he's lying to her about why he's on the train and why he has all this money in his suitcase. And he's just telling her lie after lie after lie. And eventually he kind of gets around to admitting that he's a con man. And she says something like, you know, that, that, that counterfeit money that you have, you know, the, who, the people who pay the price, they're shopkeepers, they're normal people, and why should they have to suffer? And he says, well, um, something about, I don't, I can't stand to see foolish people who have too much money or something? I know, he says, it's something like, I believe foolish people should be separated from, from their, their money, money right. or something. But then at the end, did you hear what the cop was saying? Well, you know, um, they, the cop said, the press are waiting to talk to you, Yeah, and Bill's character says, um, and the judge, too, I suppose. Yeah. And he goes, well, right now you're looking pretty good. Yeah, but the other cop, when, when Paula was talking to the cops, who apparently oh. were, were like, sure, we'll take you to this guy who was just arrested because they always share information with the public like that. Yeah. Um, she says, I think he was a con man. And they say, yeah, it, it looked like he conned a counterfeiter. So, oh, they were saying, yes, he conned a major counterfeiter. counterfeiter. So he, he wasn't conning normal people. He was sort of conning Con- well, the counterfeiter. Maybe. So, so maybe that was like a hint that he wasn't such a bad guy, right? Like he was actually... Yeah, so it was like the mob was after him or something. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting, Yeah. you know, that they, they kind of made it explicit that well, he wasn't conning normal people out of their money. He was conning the counterfeiters. And even though they put him in the back of the police car, because that's where you put people... They didn't handcuff him. It was never stated he was arrested. That's right. And uh, and when she said, well, you know, can you take or put me in touch with yeah. this man or anything? They said, he's a hero. hero. You know, so yep. it's like maybe they're... Right. Who knows? They left it open-ended for yes. sure. Yes. That was good. And they also... Uh, there's this subplot about, as as Bill said in the book, um, the guy, the bad guy who caused all this was because his wife and child had died in a train accident, and he was convinced that the train company had paid off the investigator. Mm-hmm. And they bring in the investigator, and they have him make a statement to the press saying that, yeah, he was paid off, although he keeps saying, no, 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 I didn't. And they're like, it doesn't matter, just say it. And then at the very end, it's kind of implied that he was paid off. Yeah, and he was paid off by um, uh, Raymond Burr's second in command. Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. kind of shocking. Like, yeah. uh, and they just did that very quickly in the last couple seconds. And he's like, if I get caught, you're going down too. It's like everything in this movie happens in the last half yeah, hour. Yeah, I know. It, it, if they had done more of this up front, it would have been a much more interesting thing. Yeah. So there were just this is an hour and a half, and there were long stretches of it where we were like, oh, my God, this is so boring. Yeah, we get that they're on train. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and there's a bunch of secondary characters who we're not really that interested in. There's a Paul, little boy. There's a little boy who who catches on early that the the engine, the conductor, isn't really the conductor. Nobody believes him. And then there's the vice president's wife. Why the vice president's wife? You know, like couldn't do the president, couldn't do the vice president. Can we do speaker of the house? No, nobody knows who that is. Um, <laughs> let's just do the vice president's wife. Okay, that oh, sounds good. good. We'll, we'll do that. So whatever. And her secret service agent who we don't care about. And then there's another sleazy guy on the train who's trying to pick up other women. It's like, why do we care about him? And so many of these guys had the 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 um, late 70s sort of white guy fro. And the, and the and George the Hamilton tan. Yeah, and the suit. And I could not tell any of them apart. No, they all look like the same guy. And Absolutely. so I was like, is that is that one of the cops? I, is that, you know, another... I, who is this guy? Yeah. I mean, why did we have that focus on that other guy picking up that girl? Dunno. It was crazy. Yeah. It, like there was no reason for it and then we don't follow him at the end. No. So we have no idea why we're following him or why we should be interested in what happens. Yeah. He's just yeah. like a sleazy guy picking up a girl on a train. And he was sleazy. They were very sleazy men. Now, we also have to mention the fact that um <laughs> The solution to these two trains that are on the same track hurtling towards each other is not to cross them over at one of the many crossover points that all trains have or to pull the emergency brake because they have that mm-hmm. or to manually signal to the guy like with flags. with flags like maybe you should stop this train or to pull it off onto a siding because they could do that. No, what they do is in 45 minutes they have the uh, train construction crew do a little crossover between one track and the other and... All of the, I would say most of the guys on the train crew track who are out there shoveling gravel and stuff are black. Yeah. And they give them some appalling dialogue. Oh, my God. It was awful. Really bad. And, and it was also bothering me that, okay, everybody working on the crew 
is non-white. Mm -hmm. Everybody running things is white men. Very white men. The only woman in the the uh, control room with E.G. Marshall and everything is like a, a young attitude giving secretary. Yep. Okay, it's 1979, but 1979, you're giving black men this this. They're saying, yeah, we're just dancing and picking or something. Uh, yeah, I, like, I know. Oh my God. It was terrible, and there's a couple of there. Actually, a lot of the staff on the trains were black. Mm -hmm. the, the conductor, the conductor, and and some of the serving people in the mm -hmm. cars and all that. So it was just I don't know. It was pretty offensive. Although the black guys do save the day because yes. of the crossover work. So good for them. Good for them. I'm glad that they got to do that. But I was very worried that they were going to get mm -hmm. run over by the train. But wow, so there that now, was crazy. I will give give this movie one excuse. You were saying there's you know a lot of crossovers. There are. But if Mr. Train or Mr. Computer mm -hmm. motherboard guy had reprogrammed it the way he says he does, mm -hmm. they couldn't have used any of the crossovers. It wouldn't have gone on. He had probably locked those, which is why they had to quickly mm -hmm. like in thirty minutes build what was it? Six yards. Yeah, of track, sure. That, lay, that lay, happened. Lay six lay, six yeah. yards of rail, and uh, and get you know. So there was one that was not programmed to not. I work. guess so, but I think, and and maybe someone who knows more about trains can correct me on this. But I'm pretty sure that although those track switches are electronic or electric, mm -hmm. they're still manual. You can still get out there and. E.G. Marshall says nobody throws switches anymore. No, actually, they do. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a safety feature where in case there's no electricity, a guy can go out there and literally pull the giant lever that mm -hmm. switches it from one to the other. Well, so I find it hard to believe that there were no places where a guy couldn't go out there and pull the big lever. Well, like almost every disaster movie, you cannot look too closely at the MacGuffin. <laughs> yes, of course. Or at any of the solutions, mm -hmm. or why they reject those solutions. Yep. You have to just ride along. You just have along. to go with it. It's true. It's you're true. on a runway train. That's all you're, you're concerned yeah, about. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess in 1979, computers were really new for running this sort of thing. Or and, anything. Or anything. And, you know, as an audience, you would be prepared to accept the fact that some guy could come in and solder a couple of wires and that would just screw the whole system up and there was no way to fix it. Like, yep. uh, okay, I suppose. That's not really how things work, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So I would say um, I can't really recommend that people watch this. No, but, you know, now that you know the premise and everything, really there is some, some worthwhile stuff yes. in that last 30 minutes. That's true. When Bill is action Bill. Yes. And also to see it and go, well, yeah, that does look real. And according to Bill, it is it real. It was real. It absolutely was. And again, the, the stunt work with the helicopters and the trains mm -hmm. and all that was pretty fucking impressive. I mean, that looked dangerous. It looked mm -hmm. like there was no way you could ever do that now. And it's, it's very exciting because you really yep. think something terrible is going to happen. And unlike many of the stories Bill tells, he actually seems to remember this pretty accurately. He does. I was interested to see if he did, and, and he absolutely mm -hmm. did. I wonder if the thing about the the vice president's wife and child was in the script originally. That's and what just, I was wondering. And then he yeah. just didn't remember that they cut it out. But um, So that was good. Now, this was 1979, so this was right around TMP. Mm -hmm. And Bill looked very good. He did? He was slim. Um, mm -hmm. He looked like he was in shape. Mm -hmm. His toupee was kind of like the one that he had in the movie. Kind of. It was a little, like, fuller. It wasn't. It wasn't curly. It wasn't like a, a T.J. Hooker toupee, mm -hmm. um, and it was super glued onto his yeah. head. Oh yeah, that's for sure. It stayed on through thick yeah. and thin. It was amazing. <laughs> so, if, to uh, give you people things to look forward to, uh, Lena informed me this weekend that at her home she ran across a <laughs> box of stuff we have not watched. It's mostly Bill's TV stuff. So there's mm -hmm. like episodes of Marcus Welby. And other things that I don't even know what they are, like things that we've either bought or people have sent us over mm -hmm. the years. And I just kept putting things away in a box and forgetting that we had it. Yeah. And so I, I think we need to start going through that box and watching these things to catch up and also to, you know, to give reviews. Now, I feel like we've seen just about everything that was in the Ultra Actors book. This was one of the few things we hadn't seen. Yeah. There might have been one or two more things that, that Max reviewed that. that we didn't see, but yeah, we should we should catch up on that for sure. Yes. 
And I know that there's at least one Columbo episode we haven't seen. We really? Did, I think because I think he's been in several. He's been in at least two, two. and I thought we saw him. May, I know we watched one for sure, and I don't remember about the other. But I know we didn't watch Marcus Welby. Yeah. Because I would remember that, and I'm sure it's terrible. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's another one, like a a TV murder mystery thing that he might have been. He in. did a number of those. He did a lot yeah. of that stuff. So, but ooh. that's what that's what people were working in then. You yeah. Know? That's yeah. what that was the. Those are the jobs that were out there. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, God bless all the people who were in this because they were there, they were acting, they were doing their best, you know. It's a mm-hmm. TV movie, and like Bill was saying, you know, you're an actor. This is what you do. And you bring home that paycheck. I, I did not feel like anybody in this was phoning it in, you know. They, right. They were doing their jobs. They and this is good. one of the things where I think Bill is dead right. He would never, ever show contempt for someone for accepting a role beneath them. But he would be so contemptuous of someone who says they're an actor and doesn't try as hard as they can to get that job any job. That's right. You know, and when you get that job, you do the job. You do it. You show up. You know your lines. You're ready to go. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. That's great. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm glad we did that. Yay! Yes. Yeah, yes. We did it. We did it. Now, um, before we... Do you have more stuff? Or no, but I did want to do a little shout-out. Okay. I want to I want to say one more thing. Um, as we're recording this, this is Father's Day. Yes. And I was just thinking that, um, you know, Bill's a dad and, and has great family, and, and that's wonderful. So, you know, good on you, Bill, for mm-hmm. making it through that difficult thing. And I would like to give a shout-out to my dad, who is no longer with us, but... You know, he was the original science fiction geek, and I never would have gotten into Star Trek had it not been for my dad watching Star Trek and making the family, you know, sit around the TV and watch it. So I owe a lot to my dad, and I I remember him on this Father's Day, and I'm I'm so happy he was the guy he was because I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Well, then, yes, let's definitely give him a... Yeah. Our thanks. Um, yeah, my dad also is not with us, but he wasn't into sci-fi, but he was a very important part of my life. Yeah. I love him very much. Yeah, and so. you are who you are because you, you're dad. I am what I am. <laughs> um, we want to give a shout-out. I'm not going to mention names, but one of our listeners yes. did write to us um, telling us that he had been to the Star Trek sets in Ticonderoga. And he said they were amazing. You actually can feel like (gasps) you're having your Star Trek fantasy. Oh, my God. And that they are having a convention. And he's planning to go to it. So we were going, okay, you told us this. You you must be expecting (laughs) us to go field report. You must do the whole thing. We need pictures. We need write-ups of of what you saw. If you talk to anybody and want to record it as a mini interview. Yes, please. We are we are so dying to hear more. Really, about this. and if anybody else is thinking about going, please let us know because we yes. want to hear all about it. I mean, ha- now having heard this from one of our listeners, I- I'm re- like, I want to go. I want to go to this thing. I don't know how we can make this happen because it's going to require, you know, we've got to fly to Ticonderoga and and you know all the rest of it. So who knows? Maybe there's a way that we can work this out. So yeah. you know, not this year, maybe not next year, but eventually. Yeah, and it should- would it would be one of the good boxes it, it to would, check off. It would be good. So let's let's put that on the list with going to, um, you know, Iowa, to Riverside. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, Because yes. I'd still like to do that. And I would too. thank you for the article on the cheese castle that you sent me because that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> well, and I'm just hearing all of the quotes where the guy's telling the whole history oh of it God. and all the cheeses they have. I'm oh. hearing it in, you know, these the Minnesota voices. Oh, I want to go. I want to go. Um, can I also just say, we went out last night and we saw Spamilton. Mm-hmm. And it was, if anybody is in the Chicago area and you have a chance to see Spamilton, you've got to go see it. Oh, my God. It was so good. The cast was amazing. And there's only five of them. Yeah. And they are all amazing performers and singers. <sighs> and I was noticing at the end, towards the end of the show, the, you know, some of the numbers are very long, lots of movement, yeah. lots of, you know, choreography and everything. And they finished. And I looked and not a single one of them was even out of breath. No, they were amazing. Singing, <sighs> dancing, spitting out the raps, doing everything. Yes. It was unbelievable. So funny. And I think if you know anything about Hamilton or have at least listened to Hamilton, you'll probably enjoy it. If you've seen Hamilton, oh, my God, you're going to love this. You will love it. Yes. It was so good. Anyway, I just and had to And it is it. an all-Chicago cast, which every, everyone in the theater community here is so happy about. It is. It's a small local theater and they're just doing it and it's great and people are loving it and it was great to be in an audience that was really enjoying it. Oh yes, yes. That was good. 
All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. I think so. This is amazing. So please keep your emails and comments and everything coming because we all love to hear from you. It's always wonderful. And if you've seen Disaster on a Coastliner, let us know what you thought about it. Because right. this thing got like four out of five stars on Amazon. It's like, what? What were, you what were you thinking? Also, there's stuff, you know, we have never talked about, never reviewed that you think we should watch. Yeah. Tell us. Let you know, us know. It's, it's so much easier now to hunt these things down than when we first started yes. doing this. Yes, absolutely. Um, and also, it is worth going to YouTube and just searching titles because people are posting the full versions yeah. of, you know, 10th t- level yeah. and, uh, you know, all these things Bill did. Yep. So I you find a lot of it for free on YouTube. Also on Daily Motion. Um, which is another good site. Now, that site, I mean, there's a lot of illegal stuff that's mm-hmm. up there, but if you're looking for stuff, you can often find full versions of things on Daily Motion as well. You can't find it through um, Google searches. You actually have to go there and yeah. then do the search in the search box, and people mm-hmm. mislabel things. So, it, so sometimes if you just search for, like, Shatner, mm-hmm. you'll see everything pop up, and then you can watch stuff. I also want to point out that apparently I have typed the word Shatner enough into email and messages and stuff, uh-huh. it no longer comes up as misspelled. <laughs> My computer programs have finally said, okay, she's serious. That's that's for real. Or maybe it's another media conquered by Bill. <gasps> Spelling checker? He's he's conquered autocorrect. <laughs> and nobody conquers autocorrect. <laughs> they have written whole books about the people who tried to conquer it and failed. Bill, he did it. He did it. He just did it. All right, that's enough from us. We'll talk to you soon. We love you listeners. Thank you so much. Happy Father's Day. Live long and potluck.